Hello again, everybody. In this episode, the viewpoints presented by Normie Liberals, based journalist, and MIT professor interact, interact across a similar conversation, touching a coin of authoritarianism, Orwellian technocracy, and eugenics myth. Each party touched upon insights as we should continue to educate others with. But first, we start off in Canada. The court's overreach into families show the degradation of Western world philosophies, values, and freedoms by truly despicable means. Hello again, everybody. Uh, this is uh, Jason Powers. I'm in West Lafayette. And today we're going to discuss um, uh, one article in particular uh, about a father being jailed. And then we're going to touch on uh, various viewpoints of the uh, same elephant uh, that we're all are well aware of by now. If, if we're not aware of, we will become aware of from uh, various viewpoints. Um, and so uh, we'll discuss that. Uh, but... Uh, there's a significant amount of interviews to go through because each uh, overall those are about 35 minutes long. There's four different clips I'm going to play for you, and then I'll wrap it up with uh, some analysis and and thoughts. But uh, first, we're going to start off with an article from the Post Millennial. Um, so a father was jailed in Canada after referring to his biological female child as his daughter. So there's a man in Canada who can only be alluded to as he who shall not be named. His name is uh, Robert Hooglin, H-O-O-G-L-A-N-D. Quote, quote uh, for the sake of natural justice, it is important to speak this man's name. He is now the Canadian state's prisoner of conscience. The warrant was issued by a judge for the arrest of the father after calling his biological female child his daughter, and referring to her with pronouns she and her. Hooglin was found to be in contempt of court. Hooglin is a father to a gender non-conforming biological female 14-year-old who identifies as transgender and prefers the use of male pronouns. Hooglin has repeatedly called this person his daughter, though the court has forbade, uh, forbade it. On Tuesday at 10 a.m. in Vancouver time, Hooglin surrendered himself to the court in response to the Attorney General of British Columbia's warrant his arrest for contempt. He was arrested and jailed. The warrant was issued by Judge uh, Tamman on March 4, 2021. Hooglin opposes his child's undergoing gender-affirmative medical procedures and has stated this opposition again and again in hope of saving his child from irreversible harm. The Canadian medical system, the legal system, and the child's mother, mother press ahead with the social and medical transition of the child. On December 14, 2020, Hooglin was compelled by Justice Mazzari's court to include in gender transitioning, quote-unquote, of his 14-year-old daughter and, and told not to call his biological female child his daughter. In response, Hooglin made a charter challenge engaging his right to freedom of speech. When he appeared in family court, the judge forced him to sit in the prisoner's dock, saying Hooglin's lawyer, Carrie Lynn, said, even though he was guilty of no crime. The judge referred to him as the accused. Lynn made an application for the judge to recuse himself on the basis of all of this was prejudicial. Hoogland told his story. The child had complex problems, but the court blamed them all on gender dysphoria. His marriage to the child's mother had broken up. He said that in grades 5 and 6, his daughter was, quote-unquote, getting into trouble hanging out with boys. So he arranged for her to see the school counselor. In grade 7, he noticed she cut off her long hair and started wearing a toupee. He said that she developed intense crushes on two male teachers and made a suicide attempt. Hoogland discovered the school had been showing his daughter Soji123, the going sexual and gender identity education materials in British Columbia, which amounts to transgender ideology, quote-unquote, propaganda videos. In grade 7 yearbook, the child was referred to by a different name. <clears throat> the school counselor changed the child's name without telling her parents. The school socially transitioned the biological female child on its own initiative with the input of a gender ideologue psychologist, Dr. Wallace Wong. 
when Hoogland accompanied his child to a consultation with Wong, that psychologist advised a, pu a pubescent child to take testosterone. Wong referred to the child to the endocrinology unit at the local hospital. Meanwhile, Hoogland was looking for mental health solutions to help with the child without drugs. On the child's first visit to the hospital, a treatment plan was put into action. Both the child and her mother, Hoogland's ex-wife, signed a consent form which explicitly stated that treatment was experimental, meaning that the endocrinologist recommending the treatment didn't know the long-term health impact. A gender identity activist lawyer, Barbara Finley, represented the child in court. Justin, uh, Justice Bowden decided the child's best interest laid in destroying her long-term health to make her body appear more like that of a male. Hoogland, in contrast, thinks his daughter's best interests lie in pres preserving his child's health in case his child ended up among the estimated 85% of children who de desist in their belief that they are of the opposite sex once puberty ends. He said, quote, Here I am, sitting there as a parent, watching a perfectly healthy child be destroyed, and there's nothing I can do about it but sit on the sideline, according to Justice Bowden at the time. I can only affirm or get thrown in jail. Bowden's court held the father's cons consent was irrelevant. The j judge went a step further, declaring the girl's parents must affirm their ch child's gender identity and referred to the child as though the fact of her being a gender nonconforming biological female who identifies as transgender means the child is a boy. If he did not, the parents would be implicated on the criminal offense of family violence. After the hearing, Hoogland gave an interview to the Federalists saying the people cannot change sex and the megadoses of exogenesis testosterone would damage his vulnerable biological female's child's health. Justice Mazzari then summarily convicted Hoogland of family violence on the basis that he had declined to use the child's preferred masculine pronouns. Mazzari authorized a warrant for Hoogland's arrest in the event that he ever used the correct sex pronouns to refer to his daughter again. In the Mazzari ruling, it is said that I can only think, think thoughts which are contrary to the Bowdoin ruling. Quote, the court was gracious enough that they did not police my thoughts, but everything else they could, he said. In 2019, Hoogland abided by the court order, hoping to get his daughter off the testosterone. However, in January 2020, the highest court in British Columbia declared the child should continue to take testosterone. It also imposed a con conduct order on Hoogland that he must continue to refer to his, bio his biological female child by male pronouns. Uh, Hoogland said, They've created a delusion, and they're forcing parents to live in this delusion. Quote, what happens when the bubble explodes and the delusion ends? She can never go back to being a girl in a healthy body that she should have had. These kids don't understand. What kind of 13-year-old is thinking about having a family and kids? He said, lamenting his child's stolen future. Hoogland gave interviews to several ca Canadian commentators. The broadcasts were suppressed by digital platforms, and he was threatened with contempt of court proceedings. He said, quote, what kind of father would I be if in 10 years' time she's detransitioning and asked me, why didn't you do anything to stop this? None of, none of you stuck your neck out for me back then, he said. The case continues, as does his child's medical, quote-unquote, transition. Before surrendering to the court, Hoogland felt compelled to visit his childhood homes and shared some of his thoughts with this writer. I'll leave it right there. I think all of us can agree that this is just reprehensible. Um, this is a breakdown of Western values, uh, that we have courts interfering in family, families. We have ideologues who are interfering in their school and that we're, we're taking kids at this age and younger now. Um, uh, there's other cases. There's a case in the United States that happened in Texas, but not to shift the focus, but, uh, it's reprehensible that we're allowing people to do this to our children. This is a Marxist, a Marxist ploy and ideology. These these people just they can't leave anybody alone, and they particularly pick on uh, divorcee. They pick on divorcees, especially and fathers in particular, because it's, it's 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 always it seems almost perennially or always always uh, a uh, a feminist or a, uh, a a woman who is 
who is either being manipulated or using it as using this as spite to get back at at their ex. Um, like I said, they have activists on their side, and the kid is confused. And I understand this. Uh, I can even understand this in particular because of the time frame in which this this occurred. Uh, no, personally, uh, when I was in uh, fifth and sixth grade, my my uh, mom and dad uh, went through a uh, horrible divorce, and it was very violent. There was a lot of lot of uh, things going on, and and I didn't know whether I was coming or going, and um, I felt betrayed. And I ran away from home and did all kinds of things during that time frame. And leaving that leaving that aside, what I'm saying is is that take a, uh, I don't know when this divorce uh, occurred, but I can understand when uh, a kid gets to middle school age, it's a confusing time. And the fact that there was a uh, you know there's obviously a, a push in the schools to to do this to kids is just just appalling. And this is where schools have overreached their boundaries. Um, they need to be, they need to be reined in completely. Uh, they can barely even teach these kids, rather less they should be making decisions for them or entertaining them or interjecting propaganda videos to create specialness in these kids. So you're manipulating children at the school level. You're manipulating kids from, uh, the two parents, uh, generally one parent pitting the other parent in court using courts to do this and what's worse and most most toxic here is that a court could get away with this and can get get away with this routinely based upon their ideology uh they're lucky you know if i was you know if i could be king for a day or king for a week uh i'd put that magistrate in jail i would i would lock that judge up i would just i'd go i'd i'd go in there by a I would send my uh, my police uh, officers or my military uh, tribunal and just go to town on that judge uh, because uh, that judge doesn't need to have any any make any ruling. I know they have legislation up there. This is where Jordan Peterson would come in uh, the C sixteen, and I'm not going to pretend to know everything about that bill, but the calling people by their proper pronouns is just bunk. It's totally a sane speech. You have speech, for the, you know, and they're using that to uh, to uh, extort compliance out of this individual, which is uh, where we're going to next with the uh, remainder of this uh, broadcast is the authoritarian push and um, the fact that uh, we have these uh, infiltrators across the Western world who are, who are putting this evil in, into our entire society, and it needs to stop. And we're going to have to stake a stand at one point or another. But uh, we're going to allow uh, some various viewpoints to talk about this. And I'm going to get out of the way here for the next uh, about 30 minutes. And then we'll finish up with uh, uh, with uh, some analysis and, and go from there. So uh, let me see if I can uh, get this kicked on and we'll go we'll go from there. And um, I like it, it just felt like we were all you know, on the same page. And it is very, very strange to me, almost inexplicable, how all these, you know, people, friends of mine for life and people that I've admired and people whose writings that I read and have um, acquiesced is something that, you know, clearly is... uh, a path to a totalitarianism and to what we used to call fascism, which I noticed you pointed out on your talk with with Tucker Carlson and um, Mussolini, who had an insider's view of that, used to complain that fascism should not be called fascism, that it should be called corporatism because it was the merger of state and corporate power. And uh, Franklin Roosevelt, who was at war with him, his definition of fascism was the domination of government by corporate power. And here today, we're living in a world where you have government officials who are censoring criticism of pharmaceutical products that have no incentive to make them, you know, say these companies, the four companies that make 
you know, the primary company doesn't make vaccines in this country. They're all serial felons. They're people that Merck, Sanofi, Glaxo, and Pfizer. Over the last 10 years, have paid $35 billion in criminal penalties and, uh, and damages for falsifying science, for defrauding regulators, for, for bribing, blackmailing doctors, for selling drugs like Vioxx that they knew were going to kill people. Vioxx killed between 120,000 and 500,000 Americans. It was a, a headache pill that they knew that Merck knew caused heart attacks. And they did it anyway. And when, you know, when we sued them, we got the spreadsheets from their bean counters that showed that they knew it. And the, the bean counters were telling them we're going to kill so many people, but we're still going to make more money, even if we have to pay them off. Because we're going to sell so much of this stuff. And that was 2006. It's the same year they got Gardasil approved, the same company. So how does anybody think if Cake Sticks got cognitive dissonance to believe that these same companies, if you remove liability, if you give immunity to them for all of that behavior with one product vaccine, vaccines the only place they can ever get caught because they, they're immune from liability no matter how badly injured you are, no matter how grievous your injury, no matter how negligent or reckless they are, no matter how toxic the ingredients, you cannot sue them. There's no discovery, there's no depositions. Wow. I'll never get prosecuted. And so how do liberals who, who know these companies are corrupt all of a sudden say, well, they're lying to us about everything except vaccines and anybody who criticizes vaccines should be silenced. What happened? <laughs> it's extraordinary. Um, I mean, I have the same questions you do. And uh, I have to say, I have the same feeling that we're in a, a club that started out with millions and millions of people. And now they're like five or six liberals i can count on my who are, who, who are they by the way i mean glenn greenwald has stood fast yeah. against totalitarianism for free speech but he lives in brazil <laughs> so yeah. it, it's almost easier you know as an expatriate to criticize the united states these days um i mean god maybe it's just him you and me you know amy goodman was amy goodman is is gone. Is and gone. I, He's completely gone. Subsumed, subsumed in the orthodoxy and is militant about it. Yeah, and I know why. Even, even Noam Chomsky, you know, really? people who were, why, what were you going to say about Amy Goodman? No, I was going to say that um, kind of there's so much to talk about, but I first I want to validate that I'm having a similar kind of emotionally devastating or disorienting experience that I'm literally doing nothing but saying protect the constitution. And the only people I'm hearing from are libertarians or on the right saying, stand up and fight for the constitution. And the left is like, shut up, sit down. Don't, you know, you're, you're killing grandma. Um, don't uh, give aid to the enemy. How can you talk to the conservatives? Um, you know, this is not the time for, for freedom. This is the time for a kind of communitarian self-censorship. And it's, it's absolutely devastating. What I was going to say, kind of chiming in, you know, I've watched your work for many years and I never felt like vaccines were at the heart of my personal list of concerns. Um, I, you know, respect all the research your organization does. It seems incredibly well-sourced to me. I appreciate you for other things you've done in your career as well, but now I am seeing a kind of takeover, a corporate government merger. One of the bad actors is absolutely the pharmaceutical companies, but another bad actor, and this is linked to the pharmaceutical companies, is the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, as you well know, as you've reported. And so what I've been doing is going through his 990 or that organization's 990, and so many millions have been committed from that foundation to The Guardian, to the BBC, to Amy Goodman, to NPR, to the New York Times. And so that's why you and I are sitting in our homes talking to one another on Zoom instead of talking to the New York Times or on Twitter or on Instagram. Both of us have been deplatformed from various social media platforms recently because the influence, I mean, we're seeing this kind of terrifying aggregation of five or six technologies, I would say 
big tech, I would say, um, I mean, there are other bad actors, but definitely pharmaceutical companies, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, merging with funding uh, policy, funding the CDC Foundation, um, believe it or not, uh, they give pharmaceuticals of, give tens of millions of dollars to the CDC Foundation. Uh, and then it's this unholy mess that then aligns tech companies to kind of censor anyone who criticizes the pharmaceutical industry. So you get like this kind of 360 degree totalitarianism with a few industries coordinating, putting pressure on governors, buying up politicians, buying up the political process and buying up speech. And, and here we are. So here we are. Uh, that was a conversation between uh, RFK Jr. and uh, Naomi Wolf. Of um, uh, both, uh, both are obviously um, liberals and have been for quite a long time. Our next conversation is between uh, James Corbett and uh, uh, the also the last American va vagabond uh, Ryan uh, Christian, and uh, they'll be talking for about ten minutes. And they're going to talking about uh, a more down to earth uh, uh, instance or uh, what James Corbett had uh, just uh, found out. He's uh, based out of Canada or based out of uh, Japan, and he's a, a Canadian expat. Anyway, they were telling me this, so it got to the point where I literally just couldn't fulfill DVD orders, so I had to suspend DVD sales. And throughout the year, I was last year, I was testing it every couple months i'd go back and see is it is it resolved is it is it okay now last christmas i tried to sell dvds again but again a bunch of them didn't get through a bunch of them got returned so it's just been like that so this year for uh, the past few months i've been kind of not consciously but kind of subconsciously almost avoiding going to the post office because i just don't like it's just associated now with that frustration that i've been feeling and and yeah as you say the kind of bizarreness of why why is this like, that's the thing. Even if I was the normiest of normies, I would be questioning things like this. Like, how come I can't even send mail now? Like, clearly there is something more fundamental going on here. Right. So this past week, I decided to test again. I was going to send something off to the U.S. And I go in in the way that I always do. I have... Um, I have envelopes here that I've already got pre-made with my little like return address and my customs and all of this on it. So I just have to print out a little sticker with the address on, stick it on and go, right? Mm -hmm. Easy. This is, this is the way mail works, right? You go to the post office, you get the postage, you send it, it's gone. So I did that. And uh, I was uh, I made sure to check, of course. Okay, so is mail going through to the U.S. right now? Okay, yes. Okay, good. So I'll buy the postage for this. So they they put it on a little scale to weigh it and all, and go through all the big rigmarole, print out the little postage stamp thing to put on the package. As he's putting it on the package, he stops and he goes, mm, uh, "Oh, oh, uh, sorry, sir, you can't you can't send mail like this anymore." And I was like, "What? What is that? What are you talking about?" And, so he he gets he sends me this flyer that I've got sitting around. Oh, it's over here. <laughs> so now, in order to send mail, of course, you're not going to do it the normal, old-fashioned human way. No, 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 no. Now you have to use your smartphone or your desktop, of course. But you have to create an account and log in, and you have to send them all the details of you know the destination and the customs and everything. You have to do it electronically. Then you have to print out their special label on your printer. Or don't worry, if you don't have a printer handy, you can just put it on your smartphone and scan it when you go to the counter, and then they'll print out the label for you. But you have to use that. You literally cannot stick your own address label on and send it anymore. No, no, no. Now you have to have a desktop or a smartphone in order to send a package. And I think this is only for package mail, and it's only to certain countries like the U.S. But, but there you go. Right. Um, so that right. moment was... I don't know why, but that was the mo one of the most chilling moments that kind of brought the whole crisis home to me uh, in a way that I wasn't expecting. I think it's because I was so blindsided by this. What on earth does this have to do with Corona? It has nothing to do with coronavirus. I think I, I haven't actually brought myself to read through this. I, I really don't think this even mentions coronavirus. Probably not. Anywhere right? on it. I think they were probably planning to do something like this anyway. Mm -hmm. This is just right. a convenient excuse to do it. And so that moment 
I suddenly, I, I could see the future unfolding before me where literally nothing, nothing, nothing that we do will be possible without some sort of device, some sort of electronic device in order to do uh, to do even the most basic thing like send a package to someone else. And if they can prevent you essentially from even sending mail to outside people because you're not online, think about that. Literally, what our, our sphere of human activity is shrinking and shrinking and shrinking down to almost nothing. And the only way to access that will be to have your digital identity, which of course for now is on your phone. But you know where this is heading. Do you think it's going to be on a physical device that you can carry and lose and get stolen? No, 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 no. Eventually, of course, it's going to have to go in your body. Right. You know where this is going. Which they've already been working on for, I mean, decades. I mean, it's it's not even secret. But it, this this is what I found so interesting about this part in general is that this is something that somebody like you or I, you know, would pick up on, but most people wouldn't. And then you even address this in the article. It's kind of like, well, it's just an app, James. Like, what's the big deal? But you have to stand back and see how one, all this is being rationalized and justified. And as you point out, it was something that was seemingly, I mean, this is most likely something that was planned long before this. I would argue even just kind of vaguely, it's about, you know, less touching, I guess, or bringing things from other places. But you're right. It doesn't really make much sense when you really look at the whole thing, but it, it's, what I see and as what you see as well in this article is that it's it's building the first step into every part of your life going through something like this that needs to be that can be choked off, checked, controlled by whoever's in control of that stuff. And as you as I'll read from here that you wrote, this is what you basically just said. Is this it all sprawled out before you? You said a future in which nothing, not even the simplest transaction at the post office, could take place without a smartphone or electronic device. A future in which every single transaction is monitored in real time by the government. A future in which that government could at any time intervene and stop those transactions from taking place. And I don't know why this isn't something that anybody would be concerned about because we can pretend our governments are good people at the moment, but historically speaking, this is something that almost always comes to pass. And it's weird that we're in this state of our society where we've been convinced that this one is the one that will be forever and it will go on in the same way. Yeah. Yeah. Just imagine, just imagine if a bad person got into power sometime. Can you imagine what that would be like? I know, I know that's crazy conspiracy theorists, but let's just, let's just imagine if a bad person got these powers. It's, it's just insulting to our intelligence. I mean, because the idea is that they always say someone bad is in power on the other side, right? So it's just like back and forth. Exactly. Exactly. If you were on team Pepsi and you just lived through the Trump administration, he was literally Hitler, literally Hitler, but Oh, whatever. Now we've got a good guy in power. So now anything is okay. Right. It's the same absurd way that they're already covering something as simple as like the immigration discussion with children and going like, well, it's all good because Biden has a good heart. I've actually seen that argument on Twitter, and I'm just like, are you serious? <laughs> you No, I refuse to believe anyone made that argument un, unironically. It, I, you, you would be surprised. I mean, I, I actually wouldn't it. really. <laughs> I watched them angrily defend it after people called them out. But, you know, it's just, it's, 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 this is the kind of thing that is being abused, is this willing, this, you know, acquiescence to authority, just like, well, whatever you say is best because you're in control. But that's what, I mean, even Biden's speech, that's what it was. Just do what we say, right? Just do what we say and you'll be fine. But this is what speaks to the point of the name of the article. As you said, you immediately thought of the opening chapter of the Gulag Archipelago. And, and you, it's, you can get into that if you'd like and explain the backstory of that. But this is the idea of what we see building now. It's the digital Gulag. And the question that arises from this article that I thought was very relevant is, or not, maybe not the question, but so much as as, you know, we have an opportunity now to do something to stop this from happening. And yet we're all watching it and going, well, it'll probably just pass us by. Right. And that was kind of the focal point there. But if you'd like to speak more on that, I find that to be very, very important to where we are right now. Yeah. So I was tying this back to the Gulag Archipelago, which is, oh, of course, Alexander Solzhenitsyn's um, account of the internment camp system, the forced labor camp system in Soviet Union, which is referred to in English as the gulags is just the camps, but gulag was specifically the name of the Soviet ministry or agency that was in charge of administering these camps. And he called, he called it a gulag archipelago as in, it's like this network of islands, connected islands that are within Russia. Here's Russia or, you know, the Soviet union or whatever, this geographical space, but within it, there's this entire other country that exists the gulags that most people kind of, they may have some idea that exists, but they, 
they don't really know much about it, and it may literally just be a few feet away from where they are behind this unmarked building behind this big fence that they don't know what it is, but until the gate opens and they get pulled in there as a prisoner and the gate slams shut and they never see freedom again. Um, and that, that to me is the digital gulag, the cyberspace reality that's being constructed around us that we're, it's, it's there, but it's not there. It's right next to us, but we don't see it mm-hmm. until suddenly we find ourselves imprisoned in it and we can't get out of it. And, uh, uh, the, one of the key things when you're reading that book that keeps coming back is this idea, how we burned in the camps thinking about how easy or how not easy, but at least we could have when they were coming for us, we could have kicked up a fight. We could have done something. We could have just picked up pokers and whatever we had to hand and fought and ambushed these security operatives that were coming to take us into the digital or into the prison, into the gulags. Well, it's the exact same thing in this situation we're in now. It would have been so easy 20, 30 years ago to start putting the brakes on this technology and where this infrastructure was going. Now it's getting more and more difficult. In the future, it will be well nigh impossible. The bars are coming down on this prison already. And as I say at the end of the article, you know, I'm off to create an account at the post office. What choice do I have? I mean, really, what choice do I have? Do I want to continue sending DVDs to people around the world? Well, yeah. So what do I do? I mean, I can't, I can't do it myself. I can't fly the plane and (laughs) deliver them by hand. I'm not, I'm not father Christmas here. Right. What am I going to do? I have to, now I guess I have to, I have to start an account at the post office. I mean, I guess I can, yeah, I can start some sort of lawsuit and, you know, sue the Japan post and everything. We'll see how far that gets. Mm. But honestly, what are the, what are our options? And those options become more and more limited the further we get into this digital gulag system. Right. So there you go. That's a, a, a interesting conversation, and, and James has uh, been uh, discussing a host of things uh, earlier in this conversation. They were uh, discussing how they were censored off uh, Patreon, uh, deplatforming uh, over uh, over what was labeled uh, misinformation on COVID. Uh, James, in particular, has uh, been pushing the limits on that, and. Uh, he also discusses. Uh, he had, they'd also discussed uh, vaccines with uh, Whitney Webb, uh, who uh, brought up the AstraZeneca vaccine, which is now uh, being, uh, uh, I guess you could say, reviewed in uh, Europe in a, a variety of country. So our next topic is our, our next uh, uh, snippet is from uh, Doctor Shiva, and uh, he appeared on Quite Frankly last night, and I, I watched him. I watch uh, Quite Frankly's uh, podcasts. Uh, episodes quite a bit and so anyway uh dr shiva he ran for uh senate in uh, massachusetts and uh he he has a lot of uh interactions with a, a host of this uh particular situation but i'll let, let him discuss uh his background he's a like i said he has a i would call him a, um, a systems engineer uh across a, a number of fields biologists etc virologists these people were never making any traction. So they created a department called biological engineering, which meant we wanted to take an engineering systems approach to understanding biology. And a new field came called systems biology. So when in 2000, and you know, my PhD work was on the immune system, on the interferon system, which is the missing link between the adaptive as well as the innate immune system. And so when I, and in 2019, I was invited by the National Science Foundation to give the prestige lecture. It's a very honorable, honored lecture. And I gave the uh, lecture on the, on the modern theory of the immune system. Very well received, room full of engineers and mainly engineers, right? Engineers understand the ankle bones connected to the foot bone, biologists don't. So in 2020, when I saw this nonsense taking place, you know, if you remember that tweet I put out, I think it must have gotten about 10, 20 million views. Um, I said, you know, this this quote unquote pandemic will go down in history as one of the biggest fear mongering hoaxes intended to destroy economies, push mandated medicine and um, and uh, and suppress dissent. 
Oh, oh and, and, and I think that you also said something else there that really um, puts another angle on it there, too. You said what we eat, what we think, how everything comes together and one works into the other. You don't want to be reductive about anything. Well, I think that the social impacts, that's why I say sociopolitically, the, socio, the social impacts has been just devastating. I mean, people are, are, are even more cold than they ever have been. I mean, that's just to strangers. Forget about what it's done to families and friendships. So when you're, when you're able to, so, um, to, to, to fracture that part of a person's life outside of their daily work life and, of course, the constant ignoring of what we're eating, how we're, how we're being physical and how we're actually treating our bodies – it's like a recipe for disaster, all in the name of trying to get through on the other side of a pandemic. Yeah, and you have to understand that no MDs, no scientists were exposing Fauci at the time. And the reason I was able to expose him hard was because I know the racket that gets play, play, played in science. What's happened since 1970, since the passage of the Mansfield Amendment, is science has become the oldest profession now. Mm. And Fauci has played that very well. Um, so the modern science of the immune system, um, or the, the, the notion of the immune system that was uh, pushed in 1962 to push the National Vaccination Act by a Kennedy, John Kennedy, was based on a, at least at that point a 50-year-old understanding of the immune system. By 1986, people are starting to get injured by this one-size-fits-all medicine. It's not about pro or anti-vax. It's dialectic. It's about everyone's body is unique. And by 1986, you had people getting injured, people filing lawsuits against Big Pharma. And guess who came to save them, Frank? Ted Kennedy. Okay? He didn't eliminate his older brother's vaccination act, which was based on an outmoded science. He, he, uh, he, he supported it. He passed, he helped sponsor a bill which was called the National Vaccine Injury Program, which said you can't sue pharma companies only in a vaccine court, which was under Health and Human Services. And so then... You have, uh, you know, they gave people some crumbs, you know, medical exemptions and religious exemptions, right? And then you had the this other, frankly, uh, an individual called Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who didn't really know much about any of this science. He gets involved in vaccine safety. The establishment pushes him as the quote-unquote anti-vax guy when he's, by the way, not anti-vax. Uh, you can see the video if you want. I'll play it for you where he clearly says, I'm pro-vaccine. I'm emphatically pro-vaccine. But you have a lot of rich uh, liberals uh, who support him, um, and he gets pushed into this dialectic of pro and anti-vax. And everywhere he goes, as he loses, loses, loses in Albany, in, in in New York, sorry, New York, in California. And when I came upon this, you know, my history has been looking at health for most of my life, from uh, as a kid who grew up in India watching traditional medicines, as a medical researcher at the age of 14, and through my MIT experience. And when, when I saw this. Uh, as an activist and also as a scientist, I realized that what Kennedy was doing was basically playing into the hands of big pharma. Because whenever you push, quote unquote, safe vaccines, you're actually saying, I'm going to regulate it. Uh, and regulation always leads to monopolies, as you found, uh, if you look. And so the real issue here is not pro or anti-vaccine. The real issue, the emphasis when you take a systems approach is you have to boost the immune system. That's what it's about. It's not about finding the microbe which causes this and let's take an approach. And if you go deeper into this, the immune system contains, it's not just the innate immune system, which is everything, all the powerful systems in your eyes, your nose, your, right, your ears, your skins, your throat, the gut, which are the first things that experience when you have an infection, right, or a pathogen. That's called the innate immune system. And it has a whole range of cells, macrophages and natural killer cells, et cetera. Then in the old model of the immune system, you have the innate and you have something called the adaptive, which is a sharpshooters, which create an antibody. That's pretty much what most medical students are taught. In fact, that's what most virologists focus on. So the guys who, who work in the vaccine industry are just trying to create an antibody, right? They're non-systems guys. Well, the reality is in the research I presented to NSF in the prestige lecture, we said, look, there's the innate, there's the adapted, there's another very important system called the interferon system. Independent of the antibody system, it has the ability to generate interferons, which actually support things like NK cells to go annihilate the virus long before even the antibodies get kicked in. 
And then you have the mi gut microbiome, the virome, and the gut-brain axis. So it's a much more uh, of a system that involves many different uh, instruments, right? If, imagine an, imagine in, in an orchestra, right? You not only have the the oboe, you don't have just a violin, you have a whole motley uh, of instruments, right? So when the immune system gets innervated, all of these systems get upregulated. So they modulate your reaction so you don't overreact, you don't underreact. And that's a systems approach. And without that systems approach, you're going to have people co coming in later saying, oh, well, you know, I should have said something then. Well, you're too freaking late. You should have said something in March. Mm. Right? Yeah. There's a very famous engineer who just passed away. His name is Alan McDonald. He's the one who would not sign off on the space shuttle launch in 1986, January 27th, in the middle of all this pressure, because he knew the O-rings were going to, they had never been tested in those conditions. You know what he said? It's not about saying things, oh, yeah, well, now the vaccines, I'm not sure, right? There's a guy out there doing this, a former guy worked at Gavi. Well, you're all, but you're a little bit too late. And what Alan McDonald said was, this is one of the most important things for a true scientist and engineer. It's doing the right thing at the right time, okay, with the right people. If you don't do the right thing at the right time with the right people, you're going to cause disasters. And that's where we're at now. So people coming now and saying, well, yeah, I feel emotional. I should have not done. Well, you're too freaking late. It's like after the space shuttle blew up, then you're saying I was against the O-rings, you know? Yeah, and, and and this is the fundamental problem we're at, and we're heading towards fascism, is because these very, very high-paid scientists, they're watching which way the wind blows, and maybe their heart suffers now. But they didn't do the right thing, as Alan McDonald said, at the right time, with the right people. And that's, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, and this is a central issue where you have to combine engineering and scientific understanding with taking action at the right time. So had we, you know, so when I did that in March, I got a call from the White House from a senior economist who told me, he goes, Shiva, he goes, Trump is following Fauci. He's allowing health policy to dictate um, economic policy. Please do more of your videos. And if you remember at that time, Frank, I used to do two to three videos a day. Yeah, I do. Educating people on the immune system over and over and over again in many, many different ways. We put out vitamin D3. Well, stupid Scott Adams attacked me. He said, oh, I don't know if these vitamins work because he's a grifter. He didn't do the right thing. Then a year later, he starts saying something. And this is a problem we have. We have people who are uneducated about systems. Fortunately, the public gets it. You know, working class people, a plumber, an electrician actually know more system science than all of these MDs put together because they have to build something. And if they don't put the right thing together, things blow up. Well, that's how the body is. So doing these unidirectional approaches, oh, I'm just going to go upregulate that antibody, right? Well, that doesn't take into account all the other stuff that needs to be upregulated. And so, yes, you're going to get autoimmune responses, duh, okay? But the issue is that the biologists and the virologists out there, shame on them. They do not understand the world as a system. MDs surely don't get that training. And those people who understand it keep their mouths shut because they're not going to get their funding upgraded by the NIH or, or uh, you know, NIAD, which Fauci and Francis Collins control. Yeah, and, you know, right there you're, t you're talking about that, that fascistic kind of monster that keeps growing and growing. I had spoken about it, I forgot what, what day this week or late last week, too, again, is where I wish that education, science, art would really, all these people inside of those fields would get back to understanding market forces again. But they've become so fat and happy off of guaranteed tax money that there is there's uh it's really just one of those things you said that it's become the oldest profession now when it the other thing i wanted to talk so uh there's a pretty telling conversation uh you'll notice he mentioned a few names that you were familiar with including uh, rfk so yeah there's you know different viewpoints uh, everybody's coming at it from a different perspective uh, later on dr shiva mentioned the idea that you know you you got an elephant in the room and you know, you everybody comes in from a different field or perspective for virology or epidemiology or you name your uh, scientific background and, you know, uh, 
they everybody sees a different problem or sees the problem from their perspective and they don't take a holistic viewpoint on on how to uh, accommodate uh the the system itself which in this case we're dealing dealing with by a biological system so we're going to finish up with uh james corbett in uh the last american vagabond and this is going to kind of uh, bring home uh, maybe some of the underlying forces of uh, what's going on here. So we'll let them let them talk about it. This is the driving force of what's happening in your opinion right now. I mean, because you've talked a lot about the eugenics concept of it as well and the crossover. So right now, in your opinion, with what's happening with this, the digital gulag and how it's being all built, is that just all under the guise of technology or is this a technocratic kind of revolution that's happening right now, in your opinion? Yeah, uh, it definitely is a technocratic revolution or evolution, I guess, depending right. how you look at it. It's interesting because I, I think back to when I first put out the um, Why Big Oil Conquered the World documentary, and someone asked me for sort of the uh, the three-sentence, too-long-didn't-read, you know, what is the overarching story of this? That's a hard you one know, to do for that documentary. It's a 90-minute documentary and the 60-minute one before that. Um, so uh, the one that I, I came up with, um, I wish I had the exact formulation, but it was something like... Um, the controls, the control structure of the tw- the 19th century was eugenics. The control structure of the 20th century was carbon eugenics, mm-hmm. and the control structure of the 21st century is technocratic eugenics. And I think it is the same thing because fundamentally, eugenics. What I think that is is a justification. It's not even. It's not a good one. It obviously is is garbage, but it's a justification for a ruling class. Mm-hmm. And you have different iterations of that in different eras. So back in the day, people could believe that they're Tyrants literally were gods. Right. You know, Ra, the sun god, is is our god. He literally is a god on earth. Eventually that gets a bit, well, you know, maybe they're not going to fall for that. So, no, no, no. God has appointed our family to rule over you. The divine right of kings. We have the right to rule. And eventually people start to get some questions about that. Okay, okay, that's not working so well. Oh, we're, we're coming into the scientific age, the enlightenment, rational thought, all of this. Okay, now... Well, there's a rational reason why we deserve to rule over you. It's because our, well, our genes is, as we would say now, but when eugenics was first being invented, they didn't even know about genetics. So it wasn't framed in that way. It was uh, uh, the superior stock or whatever. But our, our, our genes make us fit to rule over you. But then... Even that, you know, uh, well, that didn't quite work out so well. And people started to see the, the compulsory sterilization and and then compulsory euthanasia and other things that uh, got a little bit mm, tarnished. So we got to switch that. OK, now what's it about? Um, now it's about now it's about saving the earth. And we love the earth. We all love the earth. Obviously, we live on the earth. So we love the earth more than anyone else. So we're going to take over the earth and all of its resources and steward over them in your name. That's what it's about. It's the United Nations. It's the World Health Organization. It's it's all these wonderful international institutions that will monopolize resources and key areas around the globe and make them... Of course, free, free range, green, whatever, t- slap whatever label you want on it. It's it's all for good. And oh, by the way, by the way, we're doing side deals with our cor- crony corporations to come in and, you know, scrape out all the resources and extract them for their b- purposes. Don't worry about that, guys. It's all for the earth. It's all for Mother Nature. It's all to keep the air clean. And uh, eventually that if that starts to wear off, of course, the next stage of this is the technocratic vision of the future. And and what what possible rationale could they have for trying to eventually merge us all with the machines, nanobots, uh, change over our DNA, all of this? Why would anyone go for this? Well, well, you're an icky biological being, shedding all these viruses and all these contagious right. toxins all over the place. You're a horrible biological being. Wouldn't it be so much nicer if you were just silicon? And electrons flowing around circuits. That's the future, man. So um, I, I do see it as an interconnected agenda. And I think that is fundamentally what is, uh, I don't know if that's, I, I don't want to, uh, I don't want the causal relation the wrong way around, but I think that's why biosecurity is being latched onto as the convenient justification for ushering us into the technocratic age. Yeah. I mean, that's it. That's a really Excellent. I mean, it, it's very easy to see what you just described, right? For that, that's that's a good portion right there for people to see. So, on- so um, I think that does summarize a lot of what's pushing this. We know that Bill and Melinda Gates are um, heavy proponents of population control and eugenics. Um, they, um, his father was uh, 
head of uh, Planned Parenthood and parent Planned Parenthood. Um, obviously, comes from the the Margaret Sanger uh, in terms of um, uh, her founding and and or support of a whole host of uh, of um, restrictions on people's uh, uh, breeding, uh, uh, reproduction, um, the Rockefeller. A foundation and the Rockefellers in particular, John D. were were heavy into that uh, particular the population control and and whatnot at that time frame. Uh, Rockefellers got involved in medicine back in nineteen uh, nineteen ten nineteen twenties. Um, they funded most of the universities. They started looking at they you know the as uh, Doctor Shiva was talking about with the microbial. Um, you know, causing disease. Um, there's a book out there called Virus Mania. It's gone through a couple of different editions. Uh, it was updated recently. You could probably find it on uh, Amazon. I wouldn't suggest you go to Amazon. I would try to find another outlet. There's no sense in funding these people anymore uh, because they're they're part of the problem. So uh, if you can find a, another outlet, I'll, I'll see if I can do some research on that and post it in the in a blog or, or whatnot. Uh, to the point of what I was getting back to, so the Rockefellers uh, were uh, keen investors in in uh, the the maintenance of uh, problems, and it, it, of course, it always helped that they were always looking at uh, me- the medical field uh, wrong uh, in terms of you know, you've had this homeopathic uh, versus um, osteopathic um, um, medicine. And uh, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on these fields, but uh, the idea of systems has, has been part of the problem here. And just going back uh, even further, so uh, Planned, Par- Planned Parenthood and, and um, Sanger, uh, they were heavy uh, uh, promoters of uh, Thomas Mal- uh, Malthus, uh, the Malthusian growth model. Was a, He was an 18th century British uh, philosopher and economist who, uh, you know, uh, was... Uh, worried at this particular time point in in uh, right he was um he basically came up with this idea that you know the the progression we would uh starve ourselves there was enough way to support uh human humankind based upon population growth um when he suggested this this was right at the the cusp of the industrial revolution as far as you know uh the ability to uh mass generate quantities of food um obviously i guess you could say the first stages of uh, uh mass consumption mass consumerism uh at that time you know the cotton gin and, and whatnot eli whitney i think from a historical uh viewpoint was uh coming online i think about 1805 1810 so he was kicking around these ideas right at that particular point and those uh those philosophies carried through on the the on the quote unquote the eugenics, the social engineering, the the de- defining people based upon as uh, as James had mentioned with uh, the eugenics the 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 superior genes uh, in the late eighteen hundreds there was this uh, there was this concept of um, I think it was called phrenology uh, the concept of you know you could d- determine that someone's uh, uh, stock so to speak, you know, that they came from good stock based upon certain criteria. It was just utter garbage and, and uh, a reprehensible type of science, but that was what was being pushed at the time. The thing is, is all these fingers kind of float forward, um, these fingers of of control and superiority and elitism, um, which could uh, actually... Uh, to wrap it up with another name that we're all familiar with, we're all familiar with the idea of the Pareto Pareto principle, the eighty twenty rule, or the what we call the eighty twenty rule. We've uh, uh, pushed that down, but uh, it's interesting because you know Pareto, uh, what do you call it, Wilfred Fritz Pareto. He was born in eighteen forty eight. He was born actually in the year uh, I think the Communist Manifesto was. Uh, generated and he died in in the uh, 1920s but as it turns out uh Mr. Uh, Pareto at one point he was uh he was actually uh consulted or I won't say consulted he uh he talked uh, uh to uh, Mussolini of all people um which is quite a interesting 
well, not talk to, but I think uh, Mussolini says the future leader of Italian fascism, Benito Mussolini, in 1904, when he was a young student, attended some of Pareto's lectures at the University of Luzon. It has been argued that Mussolini moved away from socialism towards a form of elitism, uh, may be attributed to Pareto's ideas. So that's uh, from uh, Discalia. It's a book written on uh, Mussolini from 1883 to 1915 called Triumph and Transformation of a Revolutionary Socialist. Uh, this was published in uh, 2016. Uh, <clears throat> so the idea of an elite class, uh, you know, it's always been going on since the dawn of time as, as uh, uh, James illuminated with the, the idea that, you know, at first it was uh, uh, that the, the attachment to a god then it became an attachment to a family. Then it became an attachment to uh, outward characteristics, evidently strength, size, intel intelligence. And then, then it became an attachment to uh, the foundations of the earth. And now we're going to an attachment to a, uh, uh, a technology or technocratic field. Uh, this is the Klaus Schwab uh, uh, push and paradigm that's uh, being uh, quote-unquote installed right before us. And even though everybody in this particular um, uh, snippet of uh, videos or vid audios um, touched on it from their particular uh, viewpoint, uh, my guy, my my thought was to try to incorporate that together. And that's why I share them with you. Um, the point that um, I think, from my standpoint, um, yeah, we're going to have to. Um, to go back to our roots and philosophies in this country as far as uh, the U.S. Constitution, the original mindset of the U.S. Constitution, not in a not, uh, that's not, was it notwithstanding the, the additions of the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments, obviously. I'm just, I'm, what I'm talking about, the idea of the, the spirit of the U.S. Constitution as it was constituted in 1776 through uh, 1789 and the Federalist Papers and, and the viewpoints uh, uh, as far as the idea that people can be equal before the law, equal, have equal access to, to pursue their happiness and we need to put in barriers and constructs that eliminates these, uh, these um, uh, regulations that allow people to develop monopolies as uh, Dr. Shiva was uh, intimating with the more you regulate something, uh, the more likely it is someone's going to corner that field. And we need to be highly suspicious of people who, who uh, get into certain aspects. So Gates, for example, he cornered the market on, uh, on uh, operating systems. I mean, you, you, you can't go anywhere in this country and look at someone's uh, laptop and, and find anything really other than a Microsoft operating system, which we know has flaws and vulnerabilities and everybody's well aware of them yet we still use them and they've been being getting hijacked by chinese uh operatives i mentioned that in a previous uh podcast so we're the idea here is is i'm trying to make a conversation on this on these topics but um at the at the end result uh the taking away of freedoms the overreach by government the, the use of the government in a corporate uh, corporate way, using corporations to do their bidding for them, which is what I, I, I talked about with the, the two poles, the libertarianism and the, and the authoritarian control, the idea that uh, uh, the governments are, are using using corporate corporate power to, uh, to censor us and to deplatform us. And everybody should be well aware of that. You know, you talk about the the fascistic part of this. So there's a technocracy to it. There's a a fascistic part of this. The authoritarian control of it all. Um, it's all all the really most extreme um, uh, packaging of all kinds of things. Plus the communism that eventually, as Klaus Schwab wants it, is everybody will have no property, but yet will be happy. And that is not going to be the case. So we're going to uh, wrap it up again with our uh, closeout music, which will be John Adams. I thought it was a good little mini-series at the time. Um, you know, it the music holds up well. So I appreciate giving you this broadcast, and 
hopefully <laughs> I can give you better broadcast going forward. Um, yeah, no, I sounded kind of something sort. So anyway, uh, I hope all of us have a great day. Uh, concentrate on every freedom that you have. Use, utilize them. Because the more we utilize our rights as people, the more inalienable they become to us. Uh, don't let uh, the forces like Gates and Amazon and all these big corporations who, who think that they, they own the marketplace on, on rights. They may they may be able to make an exchange or trade, but they do not have they don't have a right to exchange humans and, and exchange lives based upon their whims and based upon how they value the, their lives above all of the rest of us. So I hope that um, we uh, go out there, have a pleasant day, enjoy yourself, and God bless all of us. God bless the United States of America.